Hi, I'm Victoria Starek Somali, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on Geostrategy, a new foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London. And this is Geostrategy 360, our weekly podcast which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. The UK's Integrated Review published last year stated that NATO will remain the foundation of collective security in our home region of the Euro-Atlantic. Formed over seven decades ago and uniting 30 countries across North America and Europe, its purpose to guarantee the freedom and security of its members through political and military means remains crucially important, especially in the context of the intensifying geopolitical competition, unfolding developments on the eastern flank of the alliance in Europe and the changing character of warfare. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Giedermasia Glinskas, who is the Assistant Secretary General for Executive Management of NATO, and to talk about NATO's priorities for 2022, the relevance of its mission in an era of intensifying geopolitical competition, deterrence and the importance of constant innovation, and its readiness to deal with the threats of tomorrow. Mr. Yaglinskas has overall responsibility for the management of the NATO headquarters and is the Secretary General's primary advisor for NATO-wide management issues. Yadrimay, welcome to GeoStrategy 360. It's an absolute delight and honor to have you with us for this conversation today. Uh, great to be here, Victoria. Looking forward to this. So, Gendry, may we please start with the first question about this year, year 2022. The year has just begun, and I would like to hear more about three key NATO priorities for this year. Uh, well, you know, it's true. The year has begun, and it's begun with, uh, with quite a lot of activity in and around the North Atlantic area. Um, of course, you mentioned in your intro the world that's uh, more volatile, more uncertain. That's that's true. We entered the, the mode of geostrategic competition. Um, so the, the, a lot of things going on in, in in a sort of domain of what NATO does. But I think it would be it would be short-sighted not to focus on on the longer-term goals and the longer-term priorities. So I, I would say the three main things that have uh, been you know developed uh, in the past several years and are will continue to to drive us forward is is uh, our first is a NATO 2030 agenda now Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has uh, uh, provided us with a very clear vision on 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 the sort of uh, where NATO needs to be at 2030 that's uh, again uh, the alliance that's uh, politically more united and stronger militarily stronger and uh, take global approach in dealing with challenges that that, that it deals with. So that's sort of the first thing that we need to we need to be continuously moving forward. That means a lot of adaptation efforts in terms of organization, in terms of how we, you know, how we're structured and and so forth. The second big thing is um, is the development of NATO strategic concept. Again, the first uh, well, the current strategic concept has been developed in 2010. Obviously, the global environment was very very different from from now, um, and you know. And the leaders at the Madrid summit, and this is really the third priority, is that the NATO's um, leaders summit uh, in Madrid, which will take place at the end of June of this year. Uh, the key things that will need to be uh, sort of agreed by the leaders is that is a NATO strategic concept, which again will be should be should look very different from from a current one, as well as again move forward the agenda for NATO 2030. So that's sort of the three big. Uh, uh, Areas that we're kind of focusing from in a, in a medium and, and long run. Of course, uh, you know I'm, we're not naive here. We're recording this in January of this of 2022. We know what's happening in in and around Ukraine. That's of course on our minds, you know, as we speak operationally, tactically, 
but you know there are many many things that are that are you know we need to face and you know we're 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 trying to handle everything so NATO has been around for over seven decades and what we are facing currently of course well is a very popular term we tend to use an intensifying geopolitical competition. So the world has changed since its um, creation, the creation of the alliance. And I would like to hear your view as to what is NATO's mission in this era of an intensifying geopolitical competition? Um, well, I think it's, uh, of course, I love this question because it's uh, something that sets the scene for a lot of, uh, um, a lot of uh, derivative uh, uh, things that we do, but that's that's really of essence of you know what's our mission, what's our purpose, and I think here you know of course you mentioned we already mentioned probably three times in our two minute uh, or four minute uh, conversation the concept of strategic geopolitical strategic competition. I think um, I think this is absolutely the the mode the regime that we're in. Now NATO's mission remains the same is and I could put it in a you know in four or five words is to defend freedom and preserve peace now that means um, uh, that means uh, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people but it means very clear it's the clarity of it is is absolutely essential and I think here that we're defending freedom we're preserving peace we have uh, over a billion people in the North Atlantic area that that sort of uh, fall under the, our security umbrella that mission is absolutely, I would say it's evergreen. I think it's beautiful. It's uh, something that cannot go away with uh, whatever regime we enter, whether we're in a geopolitical strategic competition or, or we're doing other things such as fighting terrorism around the world, um, that we're responding to crises, we're, we're cooperating on security matters. This is the driving force. This is the driver of, of, of what raison d'etre of, of our organization. And um, of course, I think uh, the world has changed uh, at some point, I guess, in the past uh, decade or so, um, the, the world has entered that, that sort of geopolitical uh, competition uh, realm with the rise of China, with the resurgent Russia. I think we see very clearly what's happening. And, um, and I think in this world, it's, uh, we have a mission set out for us very clearly that if we, def we continue to defend freedom, we continue to preserve peace, with our deterrence and defense policies and, and, and development of capabilities and development of a resilient society, that's, that's the right place to be. And I think the mission will continue to drive us, uh, to drive our efforts forward. Yeah, in my last year, alongside the integrated review, um, uh, we published here the integrated operating concept. And in that concept, um, it was noted that the pervasiveness of information and the pace of technological change are transforming the character of warfare. All distinctions between the peace and war or between public and private or even between foreign and domestic and between state and non-state are increasingly out of date. So what are the key NATO strengths and weaknesses amidst a rapidly evolving character of warfare today? Uh, another insightful question, you know, and I think uh, that you uh, cite integrating operate, integrated operating concept being that, that uh, pays homage to a lot of these sort of changes that are happening in this world. Um, now, of course, these are all correct things. You know, this, it's, it's very hard to, to separate these, the, the, the concept that you mentioned uh, very clearly nowadays. It's a lot of, lot of inter, interconnections, a lot of uh, woven sort of a concepts that are, that are making our world more unstable, more unpredictable, if it ever was predictable, to be sure. 
Now, I think um, Polish philosopher Zygmunt Bauman called this world a liquid world, basically the world where you cannot, you have very little to hold on to. And that's really the challenge is that we, if we don't have anything to hold on to, that's that you can get swept away very easily. So it's, uh, um, I think, uh, you know, we have to we have to find something to hold on to. And I think that's where Alliance as, as a as an actor, that's uh, as an institution that unifies the members that um, we, we really share those values of democracy and freedom and and independence that that's really the, the key strength now. When we talk about the, we mentioned the rapidly evolving uh, character of war, which is again based because of technology, because of many societal and economic things as well. I would argue uh, there are several things I think it's important to consider. Now, first is that um, connectivity of everything to everything. The world is just too connected. Everything can you know trade, economy, society, education, defense, military. It's all it all sort of they all all of these elements affect each other and these domains just intersect now second thing is the the widening or the broadening of a concept of a, or definition of security what security used to be and you know you can look go back all the way to, to sort of middle ages and and see where the monopoly of violence resided back then it was a state it was uh, maybe some warlords but it was really state the police the military i think that those were you know the the key key elements were that care of, of, of a security in, in a society. Now, nowadays, I think this is a much more fluid concept that security is uh, is broadening. It's uh, it's really not just the MOD or Ministry of Interior that's responsible. It's really about a whole of government approach. And we I think we, you know, we can uh, we can uh, sort of grasp it conceptually, but to to understand what it means in practice, it's very, very it's it's a hard it's a hard thing because again, organizations and our our, histo- our legacy bureaucracies are are structured in a sort of um, you know in a in a legacy way of thinking in stovepipes, and th- this is something we need to for sure avoid. Now, the third thing, of course, is the technology. Technology plays um, uh, plays uh, uh, a very important role um, in um, in um, in developing these capabilities, and I think. Uh, Essentially, if if a war is to break out, I think we're very likely to see something of a, a called the hyper war. I think the, uh, General Allen in, in in their in their recent book with uh, uh, Lindley French and and Ben Hodges talk, talk about is hyper war, and this is just a much more much faster environment. You need to be able to make decisions faster. You need to be able to act faster. You need to make um, to reach the consensus among allies much faster. And it's just. Uh, it's it's just a lot of uncertainty thing with that with that uh, that technology brings. Now the fourth thing, and this is something I I, I keep on talking about in in, uh, in various uh, either speeches or podcasts, is that I think in this world that you mentioned that you know that you sort of cited some things from integrating um, integrated operating concept, is that in this world neutrality is no longer an option. Now. What I mean by that is that a lot of frontier nations, such as you know, our Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and well, at the frontier of NATO, there's some other smaller countries. You know, we have to we have to choose. We have to choose who we align with. Of course, we have chosen. We have chosen very wisely. I think we're we're part of the Western uh, ecosystem and and sphere of influence, and that's where we need to be. But I think uh, in this world, as as we see that sort of fragmentation, perhaps splinternet with the uh, with the technology even fragmenting uh, in the future and, you know, supply chains under pressure. I think there's a, 
we have to be very clear what where we who we cite with in a in a values perspective and in a in a values and sort of economy societal realm. And I think we're very clear where we are. I think we see that part of that uh, role uh, that's currently ongoing between uh, some Eastern European countries and China versus uh, around the Taiwan issue. I mean, it's just uh, again, neutrality is really it's you cannot be neutral. You have to side, and we have to side with the right guys. We have to side with the winners, and I believe we are we are in, in on the right side of the camp. Now, in terms of strengths and weaknesses, the, the sort of original question that you put out there. Um, our strength is really the unity, our ability to get together uh, at NATO is um, a, 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 an organization where we meet, when we have, uh, we reach consensus. Yes, it's very hard to reach consensus sometimes, but once we reach that consensus, that becomes our strength. It's really ironclad. And I think with that, I think the weakness, you know, I think, or I would say not even a weakness, a, a challenge is that it might take time to reach a consensus. It might take time to get all allies on board or on the same page. But I think we have a very clear, the, from, on a fundamental level, we're on values perspective. We are, you know, we're we're, we're there. It's just some some you know modalities that we need to um, uh, agree that that they might take time, and that that's of course a challenge in in a, in a sort of rapidly evolving world. But I think we're we're I think we're in a good position. I think we're we're. As I mentioned to you, the Secretary General's vision on, on 2030, and when the third part is uh, that we need to operate, we need to act uh, based on a global approach on to understand the full global uh, sort of uh, consequences of, of all our actions and to understand the global environment. And I think here is, you know, the things that you mentioned, the kind of distinctions between peace and war, uh, public, private, foreign, domestic, yes, it's sort of, uh, they disappear, these distinctions. But I think if we act globally, if we consult private sector academia we were much more integrated sort of in this world where we're in a good place so that's a long winding answer to your question but apologies <laughs> no thank you Giedrimi. um nato is of course a defensive alliance and we took when we talk about the de defense um we of course naturally think about successful deterrence um in order to defend we need to successfully deter our competitors or our opponents and well it, it is particularly important in the context of today, um, and especially in the context of the unfolding developments on the eastern flank of NATO um, in Europe. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, how would you describe NATO's deterrence and defense? And what, in your view, are the key strengths of our deterrence and defense capabilities? I think conceptually, um, deterrence is really a mindset thing. Uh, for the turns to work, it needs to be credible. So credibility is, means that it needs to be believable. So we have to have a clear, um, clear capabilities, strong capabilities, and then you want to be you want to be able to use them. Meaning you want to have the will to use that. Now, what deterrence is made of? Now, I, from my perspective, I think it's it, it's sort of a, again it's conceptual, but I think from my perspective, it's a, it's a three elements that really make up that deterrence. And um, and really three ways to to cut uh, to cut that in a, in, a, in a more clear way. I think so. First is a military capability. So that means many many things. Now the NATO has the, the a guideline for uh, for the allies to spend uh, two percent at least two percent of our GDP for defense. Now that's part of a military capability. These two percent need to go to the military uh, capability building packages. So it's uh, again. It's also investing in technologies. It's about uh, 
investing in right infrastructure, in people, in um, in in capabilities that will be in the future. It means investing in R and D. And so it's it's a lot of different things. I think, and again, once you have that, that sort of serves as a base for 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 anything that you know. When we talk about the military, the raw military power of the alliance. Now, the second element of deterrence is really strength and unity of our partnerships. I think uh, um, you know any small any person from a smaller uh, nation in Eastern Europe would say that you know well, you're always stronger if you have a have a big brother there next door and you have a you know other other troops your friendly troops uh, training with you and you're you know you have this the strength of partnership that's uh, really you know transmits that strength i think so that's um, that's probably the second part and i think we, we join nato of course because of that because we're a small nation uh, i'm talking as lithuania now you're you're you come from a small nation and a small nation you know you know you need that support of of, of strong values based partners to 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 really to to deter the aggression from a from a, from an from an aggressor so here i think the military mobility and you know training and exercises that are that we do with the partners all the time, and and it, it, this has been increasing in the past, I would say, seven or eight years. Uh, we're doing more and more of, of those exercises and and sort of military mobility trainings, and I, I think that really helps, um, really clarify what those partnerships are and how strong these and and united are we are at, at, at this um, at this discussion. Now the third element, and I think this is something uh, less military, I would say, less. Uh, um, um, less war related, but it's, it's about societal resilience. And now we talk about resilience a lot in the COVID world. So how we need to make sure that the organizations are resilient, how people are resilient. I think society, of course, that's really resilience. We look at NATO, we look at resili resilience as a, as a first line of defense, really. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's a no brainer. A society that's united in their view of uh, threats, that's united in their approach to 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 various things it's more it's a more equal, more fair more equal society of course it will be more resilient to threats from an aggressor whom we don't want in our country so i think you know i think it's again it's a it's a pretty straightforward concept but uh it's of course also a fragile concept because uh as we see as we have seen with the, with the covid i think and that's maybe a sort of a derivative example here but it's uh, you know there are many ways to uh, to to affect societies in a negative way by providing you know disinformation and fake news and etc. So it's a again it's a fragile concept, but it's an essential thing that again it's not just the military's responsibility. It's also the it's, it's really the whole of government sort of approach that's required to to boost that societal resilience. So it's really about three elements as I mentioned: it's military capability. So it's capability partnerships and uh, society so cps that, that's the, that's my, my kind of acronym that i use for for kind of define what deterrence is and how we look at it here at nato um the current situation next to ukraine's border really is very concerning and well of course we 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 understand that russia um is a threat to NATO. Now, the question is, how can we successfully deter Russia? How can we use our deterrence against uh, against Russia? Uh, I, I think it's very clear, and uh, that, and um, I don't want to delve uh, too much in uh, in in this question, but I, I can say, uh, I can say, perhaps uh, in a quite straightforward manner, that you know, our Secretary General has been very clear in, in communicating the message from from the Allies. 
I think that, you know, Russia is an aggressor in this case. Its actions are, you know, are, are not really comprehensible in this sense. So, um, but, you know, uh, also Russia understands, uh, you know, defense and deterrence from a point of a, of a strongman. So it's really about the strengthening of our deterrence efforts. It's about strengthening our presence of allies in the in in the east in the, in the eastern parts of the of the alliance something that you know you see that in the public domain in the news even today you know there's there's more and more cooperation we need to do there's more exercises we need to do together it's uh, to show unity and that unity is absolutely essential at the end of the day it's it still goes back conception to the same concepts that i that i talked about such as you know military capabilities so of course uh, we need to continue building the militaries and they need to be interoperable. They need to they need to be able to act together, act fast, uh, act and respond to to these threats uh, from Russia or anywhere else. Of course, that that this comes down to the the strength of partnerships. How how well we are interconnected and how we're able to support each other. And resilient society is key. I think here, I think not, you know if we're if our societies you know. Uh, don't get tarnished by the, the the sort of fake news and disinformation from uh, from from Russians. I think we're we're in a good position to, to as as our first line of defense. So it's a it's really no no clear answer. I mean, if it, uh, how to you know how to do that uh, at the at the moment with the um, with, with the situation with the Ukraine. But you know the U.S. is leading these efforts. NATO is really at the center of it as well. So it's about you know it's uh, we we need to keep on. Um, Keep on uh, keep keep up the dialogue and and of course get to the and show the strength because showing the strength is essential I think for in this effort. For every organization to remain relevant, of course, it's important to innovate, and NATO is no exception um, to this rule. So I would like to move our conversation uh, a bit more towards um, the innovation, technology, and future topic. And, well, we know that today technologies such as AI, autonomous weapon systems, big data, biotechnologies, and quantum technologies are becoming increasingly important. So how does NATO adopt them? And also, why are these emerging and disruptive technologies are important? Um, I think... Um Again, this is uh, really, it's not just a long-term view, but this is really an important uh, conceptual aspect that, the, and, and I want to also start with a very conceptual uh, conceptual overview here. Now, the, the way NATO stays relevant is that's how we deliver on our mission. And, and I said, and, and, I, and I initially mentioned that, that our mission is to defend freedom, preserve peace. How do we do that? We need to stay relevant. Now, we stay relevant if we maintain our military superiority. The question is, how do we maintain our military superiority? That's where a technological edge comes into play. And um, and at the same time, we see both from China's perspective and, and we see what's happening in Russia. We see even, in a, you know, we see even uh, hypersonic tests in, in North Korea. We see that our competitors are um, not just our competitors, but other also authoritarian states are investing in these technologies. Now, uh, you mentioned some of them, such as AI, autonomous weapons, um, big data. I think uh, you know, you know, you can probably point to seven to ten different technologies, and and these are technologies that you know uh, in, they're important for the military and defense domain, but they're also important for civilian domain. If you look at the biggest big big investor 
like Kathy Wood's ARK Invest, such as, you know, they are, their thesis is to invest in blockchain, uh, AI, autonomy, energy storage, and, and uh, in other things that will disrupt economies. And now these are multi, multi hundred billion euro uh, dollar investments that are being made all around the world. And it's, that's where the most, most of that, um, of that R&D is happening. It's really the, the, civilian, the, 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 the civilian domain. Of course, we need to look at it from a defense perspective that, you know, if, if our competitors are investing in these technologies and, and they're, if they're, you know, developing these technologies and making them into capabilities, that means their military is now stronger and stronger a, as we speak. Uh, I think this is something we need to do and respond. Now, NATO, NATO's Science and Technology Office, as well as uh, NATO's Allied Command for Transformation in Norfolk, has developed these sort of, the, the, I call it the Emerging Disruptive Technologies, so um, seven of them. Um, and, and, they, and they are really, you know, they are the same or roughly the same as many of these technologies that, that civilian investors are, are investing in. So it's really the AI, autonomy, big data, biotechnology. Some, some such as hypersonics is, is some, some, I would say, more specific to the military. But also there's uh, uh, space technologies, which is, again, is something that Elon Musk and many others are investing in. And that's a technology domain that's very much uh, hot now in, in the market. So, again, these are the technologies that we'll, 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 um, we'll observe. We have to observe. We have to... Um, we have to follow what's happening and to see what's happening in the sort of military domain for these technologies. Now, um, we have the right ecosystem. We have a lot of um, scientists that are connected through our academic uh, network. We have our own science and technology office. We have a chief scientist uh, of NATO residing here in Brussels. So it's um, so we are, I think, in, at the right moment and in the right position as an alliance to really lead these efforts. And so, so our militaries don't just focus on, uh, on when they build military capabilities, they, they focus on, on a lot of uh, sort of hardware and, and a sort of traditional technologies, which are very, very important, of course. But what if, what if our adversaries come up with something that's, you know, that takes us into a disadvantaged state uh, when we compete with, the, with these adversaries? So it's, uh, I would say it's really about, um, about leadership here, that NATO needs to lead. And, you know, as an alliance of 30 democracies, we will will show which technologies will be the future of warfare, which technologies will be the future of deterrence and defense. And um, I think together with partnering with the private sector, with the um, partnership among the allies, and that's that's all we need to do and to make sure that, and of course, academia and, and private sector. And so it's really the, the so-called uh, triple helix is, is the uh, is the, the key key catchphrase here. But uh, again, we're, we're, we're here to lead, I think, in this in this domain. There have been some positive developments in this in this field and well back in October allies signed for example a letter of intent to develop the 1 billion NATO innovation fund and well this multinational fund uh, should help to retain its technological edge by enabling investment in dual use technologies of potential application to defense and security for the alliance so um how important is this step could you please elaborate a bit more on this Absolutely, uh, Victoria. This is a, this is a huge progress. This is a huge step for the alliance. A huge step for the militaries of our uh, and our and all the bureaucracies really that that make up the 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 alliance and and the allies and within the allied states. Now, the, 
I think uh, this really goes back to the previous question. How do we maintain our technological edge? Uh, we have these technologies. I mentioned there's seven of them at the moment. Again, it's not a, a list that's grained in stone. Uh, it, it, things will change. Technologies will change. New, new will emerge. Others will go away. Uh, but the point is that once we have these technologies, what do we do with them? And here, the idea of the NATO Innovation Fund is to really gather, uh, really just uh, really raise a fund, a venture capital fund, and um, where we're able to, when, once we hire the private uh, fund manager, that manager would invest in, in different countries in the deep tech uh, sort of uh, uh, domain in these technologies that I mentioned, those seven uh, emerging disruptive technologies, so that the knowledge that you know you, you gain of course there's a there's a there's an investment angle where you want to make money you want to make sure that you grow certain startups into something bigger but also it's about you know i think the transfer of technology from the private sort of startup uh, phase of of development into into the military domain where then later the uh, military capabilities can be developed so it's a uh, so again the details wise it's about a call it a, it's a billion euro fund for, with a 15-year term. Um, now that's about 70 million per year of investments. Now that sounds a lot for some, not much for others. I think um, we know that development of uh, military capabilities is very, very expensive, very costly, very time-consuming. So, you know, 70 million per year across the alliance is, may not sound like a, a large amount. But the point here is really that the realization that we cannot um, do it ourselves. We here again have to lead. So we show, we demonstrate which technologies needs to be invested and then hopefully draw in um, uh, capital from private sector so we can actually collaborate and, you know, um, and, and, and then and that's really start the ball rolling, rolling really. Yeah, so that's the idea of the uh, NATO Innovation Fund, which is again, it's, a, it's an exciting time, exciting time in the alliance. I think this is something we've never done. But before, but uh, we have, we have uh, I think, a uh, right brand also to to make sure we insert that brand into the into the financial world as well. Well, um, I think I would like to end our conversation with a very crucial question about the world today. And well, the world today is a highly volatile world. There is a massive Russian military buildup next to Ukraine. We also have seen um, episodes of uh, tensions between Belarus, um, Polish, Lithuanian, Latvian border last year. At the same time, there are issues in the Balkans threatening peace and stability so hardly fought for back in 1990s. Um, the United States has had to also divide its attention um, and increasingly start focusing on the Indo-Pacific because of the People's Republics of China's assertiveness. Um, as discussed earlier, the character of war is also changing. So, so many challenges at the same time. How does the Alliance deal with all of them simultaneously? And is the Alliance prepared to do so? Well, it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's a billion euro question or is it a trillion euro question? But it's a, it's a very, very important question. And uh, um, you mentioned all the things that are happening in the world. Not all. You probably can probably we can have another you know twenty items on this list, and it would not be over. Uh, I think the world is more complex, more volatile, um, more uncertain, and it will stay so for the foreseeable future. Uh, we see the technology that's accelerating all the movements. Uh, for you know, I think it accelerated a lot of things during the COVID. 
But I think also without COVID, we would have seen uh, a lot of that through Moore's law and other technological innovations that we see uh, we see happening. It's just that the world is more volatile. It's more, I think, you know, to mention COVID is I think it's um, it's one of those things that you know really exacerbated the, the, the inequality, the the kind of um, polarization within the societies. It's a very very dangerous dangerous environment to be fair. Uh, I think, you know, are we prepared? Are we ready to and how we're going to deal with that as, as as the alliance? I think, you know, the question I would say, the pose it the other way, how else can we deal with it uh, except as with friends and allies? Uh, I don't think there's there's other way that we can, you know, there's no, we have to win, we, there's no substitute to, to win this fight. And uh, we're all in, in it and we're all, you know, betting our, uh, um, most uh, the the biggest bets that you can you can possibly you know think of, and we're in it we're in it and we will we will persevere. Now, of course, that means that we need to adapt the alliance. We need to continue to to become more agile. We need to we need to build certain areas that we're not experts in. We 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 started the interview with uh, certain things about the economy, about society. Again, we need to understand the economic financial risks and and threats that are very much connected to the military domain. We need to understand how polarization and, and really, you know, societal sort of divisions that are evident everywhere in every country, whether it's in the West or in the East or, or, or anywhere in the world, how that is affecting security. You know, we, it's just a whole uh, definition of security means that, you know, the NATO as an alliance is not just a military, political military alliance. Yes, the military aspect is very important, but we have to, um, look at the, at the other aspects as well, and that means, of course, you know, hiring new ex expertise. To, as, as Secretary General has said, you know, using global approach to all these these challenges that that arise. So I think we're, you know, we're, we are looking at all of them, and and there's a lot uh, a lot of uh, momentum on these on these initiatives, such as NATO 2030 that I mentioned in the first question in, in this interview. Um, strategic concept will address a lot of that as well. So this is something to be on the lookout for in in in, in about the June timeframe of this year. And I think that this really gives us a good um, a good sort of a north star of how how of where to where to look at in, in for the future. But uh, I think we are united. We're we're facing a lot of different threats, a lot of uncertainty, but we're in a good place. It's uh, it's uh, as it's supposed to be. Thank you so much for a fascinating conversation on NATO, its relevance and its readiness to deal with the threats and challenges of today and tomorrow. And this is Geostrategy 360, the Council on Geostrategy podcast, which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. You can listen to Geostrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms and you can find all our podcasts on our website, www.geostrategy.org.uk slash podcasts.